Open up in your Bibles to 1 Peter. Luke left off, 1 Peter 2.10, so we are going to be looking at 1 Peter 2.11-25. through 25. Now, I, I have to admit, I'm incredibly honored uh, just to be up here, to be in front of you all. And, uh, and it was also kind of funny, too, because um, somebody had said to me, they said, you know, the last time that I saw a bass player go ahead and get, get up and give the message, it was Mike Huckabee. So I think I'm in some pretty good company. So 1 Peter 2.11.5, Enduring Unjust Suffering. Let me just read you this opening. Albert Schweitzer, an early 20th century Christian humanitarianist and missionary doctor to Africa, said the transformed life is not simply the most important thing in ethics. It's the only thing capable of changing the behaviors of others. The Apostle Peter would agree. Beginning in this section and continuing through chapter 3, he insists that believers have has no stronger testimony than that of a good life. Additionally, a good life is expressed related to godly behavior towards supervisors. For Peter, a God-pleasing life is a servant life. It has the power to quell gossip, to refute slander, to transform unthinking opposition into the thoughtful respect, and above all, to be the example of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit can use to change unbelievers into converts of the faith. A good life is not just a good life when compared to others. And you know, when when I read that, I thought about our President Bill Clinton. Because you know, a lot of people with all the problems that he he had throughout his administration, a lot of people would, would look to him, and one of the things that they said was that they didn't mind so much seeing the president because this was the president of the United States with all these faults, with all these problems. And it made them feel better about ourselves. But we're not to compare ourselves to others, are we? No. No. It is ultimately and unconditionally good, even to the point of suffering unjustly. More than any other circumstance or situation, In unjust suffering, believers have the opportunity to emulate the example of Christ, who suffered for us. Now, we're going to take a look at three main points today as we go through the scriptures. And all of it is dealing with enduring unjust suffering. Now, maybe some of you are going through that right now. If you're not, don't worry. You will. (laughs) So, Adam... If we are, this is a given that we're going to go through unjust suffering, then what do we do? Pray. No, really. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, here it is. As we are about to delve into your scripture, I just pray, Lord, first off, that you would remove me. Remove me from the picture. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Use me as your instrument so that you might be able to touch those that have come here today. And Lord, I pray. I pray that they would leave here transformed, not the same people that walk through the door, but instead someone a little bit closer that knows you a little bit closer. God, I just pray that you would be glorified in all things, in our worship, in our study, Lord, in all things that we do. We just come before you. We thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. 
So, let's start off with verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governor's, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but bondservant of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what, if, what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before our God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was the deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly, righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By those stripes you were healed. For you were like the sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer for your souls. That is so amazing. This is an amazing passage, and I pray that I do it some justice, because there are so many good nuggets, there are so many good pieces of godly living within this that we need to follow. So, Peter starts off, and he starts off, Beloved, agape to, and this is beautiful, beautiful the way that he does this. He's not only calling those within the letter, but he's also calling each and every one of us, Beloved. And you know, this is the same, Beloved, in Matthew and Luke, that when, here it was, Jesus was baptized, and the heavens opened up, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's the same word that Peter uses here for each and every one of us. It's beautiful that we start off like that. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Sojourners and pilgrims? Now, is that what he's talking about? Right, with the funny hats, you know, Thanksgiving, the whole Thanksgiving thing, right? When here it was, they suffered and persecuted over in England. Then they took the uh, Nina Pinta and the Santa Maria over to uh, the, the States. And here it was, right? The Indians taught them how to uh, grow turkeys and corn. Is that what Peter's talking about here? No, most definitely not. Most definitely not. So what is he talking about when he says, here it is. We are sojourners and pilgrims. This brings us up to our first point today. We are not of this world. 
Let me hear everybody say, we are not of this world. Amen. Excellent. Excellent. Now, I've, I've heard this before. Where have I heard not of this world? Not of this world. Oh, that's right. It's probably on stickers on the back of half of your cars, isn't it? Right. And we get that from John eighteen thirty six, And that's where the company gets it from, too, where Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. People, this is not our home. This is not our world right here. And the beautiful thing about it is no matter how much you're suffering unjustly, it doesn't matter. Because when we die and take our last breath here on this earth, we're going to open our eyes and take our first breath in heaven. And we'll be home. Amen to that indeed. So, Peter goes on. And he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You know, I heard it once said that the game of life. Has everybody heard that before, right? Yeah. But you know what? Life isn't a game. Life isn't something that you just press the reset button and, oh, you know what? We're going to go ahead and we're going to start all over again. No. It's a war. It is a battle that we go ahead and fight each and every day. Every morning when we wake up, we go ahead and we make a choice. We make a choice. Are we going to go ahead and follow our fleshly lusts? Or are we going to go ahead and follow the laws that were dictated to us by our Lord and Savior? Every morning, it's a war. You know, uh, Paul writes about it in Ephesians, doesn't he, right? When we look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and he talks about the spiritual armor of God, that is something that we need to be putting on each and every day. When we go ahead and we put on that helmet of salvation, keeping salvation and our kingdom, our heavenly kingdom, foremost on our mind, that's why our helmet is there. When we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, not righteousness of us, but our Lord Jesus Christ that we put on. When we talk about that shield of faith, going ahead and making sure that we know beyond any shadow of, of, of a doubt that our faith is strong and that our faith is going to protect us. That belt of truth that we have that goes ahead and says, let our yeses be yes and our noes be no in everybody that we're dealing with. Those sandals of peace. Yes, our sword is ready, but we need to have our sandals of peace. And, you know, it's interesting because when you look at a dollar bill, on the back of it, it has the uh, crest, the symbol for, for the United States. And in it, there's an eagle. And with that eagle, in one set of talons, it has the laurels for peace. And in the other set of talons, it has arrows, meaning war. Now, up until World War II the eagle's head was actually facing towards the arrows. Basically saying, hey, look, we might be a new country, but don't mess with us. We'll take you on. After World War II, after all these countries had fought this great battle and the suffering and so many lives, we said, you know what? We're ready. We're prepared for, law, for war. But the eagle's face has now gone ahead and turned towards the laurels. And there's that peace that's there. Remember, it's a war that we're battling, a war that is raging, raging against us each and every way. So don't forget that, folks. When you wake up in the morning, prepare for battle. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may... By your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is 
huge, huge. Let's look at this one more time. That they, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God. On Friday nights, we do a truth project here. And one of the things that I enjoy about the Truth Project is they have this little panel of about six or seven individuals. And they just do interviews with the individuals. And they ask them, some of them are believers, some of them are non-believers. By the way, this is a plug for the Truth Project, Friday night, 7 o'clock. My wife makes wonderful desserts for you all. (laughs) One of the things that I enjoy is in this panel, there is a 13-year-old boy by the name of Kyle. And this kid nails it. Every single time. Well, they went ahead and they asked this panel. They said, well, what is the meaning of life? And you got such a random uh, variety of answers that was in it. Everything from, hey, we live on this world and then we go and we die and we're nothing but you know, food for the worms. But when it came to Kyle, he goes, oh, he goes, that's an easy one. Everything that we are to do, we're to glorify God. And that's the meaning of life. So, if anybody ever asks you what the meaning of life is, you can tell them to glorify God in all things that I do. And if they want to know where you got it from, right here, Second Peter, verse 12. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of the man. For the Lord's sake, whether to the King Barack Obama as supreme or to the governors Jerry Brown as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Your, your, your Bibles don't have that in it? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. All right. Maybe that's just my, my interjection and why it's there in parentheses. But think about this. Okay. Therefore, submit now. Ouch. Therefore, submit, submit. Don't we think of this as an ugly term here in this country, right? Oh, I've got to submit. I've got to submit to the man. Yeah, that's right. I know I wasn't speeding. I know nobody in here speeds. Okay? But we need to submit ourselves to every ordinance, every ordinance. Now, you know, I find it interesting because uh, here it is. There's a brings us. This brings us to our second point. So the first point was everybody. We're not of this world. Second point, submit to government. Let me hear you all say it. Submit to government. Excellent. Very good. Okay. So we're submitted to government and authority. Okay. And that's not always an easy thing to do. You know, I got a picture. I found a picture. Now, this gentleman, for those of you that can't read it in the back. Okay. It says, no mother should have to fear for her son's life every time he robs a store. Really? (laughs) Really? You know, we just went ahead and we had the anniversary of the Michael Brown shooting over in Ferguson. Okay? It was a tragedy. However, let me ask you this. If he submitted to authority, if he submitted to government, he would be alive today, wouldn't he? Yes. And you know what? It's not always an easy thing. And I got into this argument with my mother one time. She, she said, she goes, you know, she goes, I just think that this is wrong. This is just outrageous. All these cops shooting people and everything like that. I can't believe this. You know, you guys are highly trained. Can't you just shoot to wound? Okay, this is not Hollywood, first off, okay? And secondly, if people would just submit, 
guess what? Nobody gets shot. And I asked her, now, give you a little history on my mom. She used to do long-haul trucking, okay, across this country. So I asked her the question. I said, hey, have you ever been stopped by a police officer? Not only has she, but in many different states. (laughs) So, of course, she had to answer yes. So I said, okay. I said, and what happened? He pulled you over. He said, ma'am, I stopped you for your speed. Can I see your license, registration, proof of insurance? You went ahead. You grabbed your license, registration, proof of insurance. You handed it to her. He went back. He wrote the citation. He came back. He said, press hard for copies. And what happened? You got your copy and you drove off. Now, how many times were you shot each time that you went ahead and submitted to the government? How many times? Well, never. Why was that? Because even if you didn't agree with it, you submitted it. You still went ahead, you signed the bottom of the citation, and you were on your way. End of story, people. We need to submit to government. Submit to government. It's not always easy. I understand that, okay? For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but a bondservant of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, you know, here it is. We just determined it may not be necessarily easy to submit to government. It may not be easy to submit to a lot of the laws and changes that have uh, come about more so as recently. Um, But we are still called to go ahead and submit to government. And it starts off, and you have to remember something, that here it is, when we talk about submitting, um, God placed those individuals in those positions. He allowed it to happen. Okay? So we can't overlook this. Now, in the beginning of this passage, it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There was one time we had stopped for coffee, a bunch of us, and we were standing around, and the topic of conversation, the flavor of the day, happened to be God and religion. And it was interesting, as we had some Christians and some non-believers that were there. And one of the non-believers is like, Adam, I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying it. I don't believe that there's a God or anything like that. And I said, you know what? I go, let me ask you this. Here it is. You're a peace officer. You know that we're a nation of laws. You have to go ahead. You have to have people submitting to you. If I were to go ahead and live my life according to the laws of God, here it is. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't covet. Okay. Any of those things. If I go ahead and I live my life like that, I don't think that there's anybody who at the end of my life and at my memorial would say, you know what? That was a worthless life. And he couldn't argue against it. There it was. The silence of the ignorance and the foolish ones. It goes on. And as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. You know, I believe that this is where this country gets into its biggest trouble. Liberty. We have liberties to do things within God's word. Do we not? Most definitely. Yes, we do. Okay. However, I think too many people confuse liberty with being able to do whatever you want to do. 
Now, um, it is perfectly defined here. It's a cloak for vice, isn't it? Amen. God's word clearly states homosexuality is a sin. But yet, now we have a certain uh, few individuals uh, within the Supreme Court that has interpreted that it's okay within our Constitution that, uh, that gay marriage, which, by the way, does not exist. For those of you from the Truth Project, forgive my vain repetition. <laughs> However, I think that it is important that I plug in my laptop or I need to find another source. Stand by, people. And should be plugged in somewhere. Ah, it was pulled out. Outstanding. All right. Back in business. Yay! Yay for technology. (laughs) So, here it is. Supreme Court goes ahead. No such thing as as gay marriage. Now, Adam, how can you say there's no such thing as gay marriage? They just went ahead. They voted it in. There it was, June 26th. I remember the day, Adam. Okay. So, here it is. If I hold up my cup of coffee, okay, is that going to change what this really is? No. This is still bottled water, isn't it? Yeah, and no matter what I call this, it is still going to be bottled water. On the top of my marriage certificate, it says holy matrimony. Gay marriage is not holy matrimony. Amen? However, however, let me digress. It's our liberties that get us into trouble. And with those liberties, instead of just saying we can do whatever it is that we want to do, we should be the bondservants of God. Or a doulos. Do you know what a doulos is? Doulos or a bond servant is somebody that went ahead and they were, they may, really were, may have been a slave for a certain period of time within, for a master. And we're going to get to a master slave relationship in just a little bit. But with this, they were that slave. And at the end of their term, when they were set free, because of the treatment, because of the work, the conditions that they were in, there was such a relationship that was formed between that slave and that master that he went ahead and submitted himself to go ahead and be a bondservant. They would take his ear, put it up against the threshold of the house, and pierce it. And he would wear an earring, symbolizing his loyalty to that master. That's what a doulos is, or a bondservant. And that's the way that we should be with our Lord. The more that we go ahead and obey, the more that that relationship goes, the more that we submit to him and his word. Not fighting it because of what we want to do, but instead submitting to what God calls us to do. Become that bondservant. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor all people. All right, Adam, you keep hitting me with these tough things. Honor all people. Well, I can understand the people here in church. That's easy. I'll honor them. That's not a problem. They're good Christian people, right? I'll honor those, right? My family, sure, sure. Most of them, they're pretty good. I'll honor my family. Love my family. Okay, beautiful people. Love them. Uh, However, what about the ones that aren't nice to you? 
says all, doesn't it? And you know what all means in Greek? All. (laughs) So, remember the bakery in Lakewood, Colorado, that wouldn't sell the cake to the homosexual couple, right? Yeah. Okay. Honor all people. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that they were wrong. I'm not saying that they were right either. However, when we sit here and look at this, I mean, does God really say that we shouldn't bake a cake for a gay couple? I don't know. I I can't necessarily find it. But it does say that we're supposed to honor all people. And maybe they would have gone out and they would have baked one of the greatest cakes in the world. And it was the talk of the wedding. And then that opened up more dialogue in which that Christian couple could have gone ahead and talked to them. And then maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit would have entered into their hearts. And they would have seen the error of their ways. And they could have been converted. It says, honor all people, right? Hey, we're supposed to hate the sinner and love the sin, right? Amen? You see, I got a couple of nods from you. Hate the sinner, love the sin. Ah, oh, my dyslexia kicked in. You see, I got you. I got you guys. You're not paying attention. You're all, yeah, Adam, yeah, okay. Yeah, 15 more minutes, Adam, okay. No, right? Yeah. Hate, hate the sinner, but love the sin. I love that. I, I really love that. You know, yeah. I don't like you, but I love what you're doing. <laughs> okay, before my dyslexia kicked in, okay? Um, love the sinner, hate the sin. Now can I get an Amen. Excellent. But it's difficult to honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Loving Christians everywhere. That can be easy enough. Okay, I'll buy that, God. Fear God. Ooh. Now, you know, it's interesting because when we hear the term fear God, we think of, you know, just falling at his feet and trembling. And how many times that we read throughout the scriptures that that's exactly what people did. And now, honestly, should we be afraid? I mean, he created all of this. He wiped out everything on the face of the earth one time with a flood. Should there, there be that fear? Yeah, there should in respect. But, you know, I was talking with Alex one time and I told him, I said, you know, I go, here it is when, when I walk into a room, my family doesn't go ahead and go, oh, dad's home. <laughs> okay. But there is a healthy fear that they have because they know that if they've done something wrong, there's going to be the consequences for it. And I'd like you all to look at this one other way. You know, when we talk about fearing God, have you ever worked for a manager or a supervisor that was just awesome? They were like one of the best people in the world, uh, really good, and you would just do anything for them. Well, in the same accord, it's not that you're afraid of that person that's in authority, but you love them and respect them so much you don't want to fail them. That is what I believe is the other kind of fear that we should have when dealing with our God. Honor the king. Barack Hussein Obama. Honor him. All right. Well, if I haven't offended you enough of you yet today, let's go ahead and keep going. (laughs) 
Remember I said it a little bit earlier. God puts political leaders in their positions and they are worthy of the respect and honor. Not of the ultimate allegiance and worship. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, Teddy Roosevelt once said, patriotism isn't about loving your president. It's about loving your country. That's what we should do. We should honor the king. We should honor our president. Uh, John Ulrich Bengal, the 18th century German pietist. Now, I had to look up what's a pietist. Okay, It's one who stresses personal piety over religious formality. He stated, and this was during a whole movement, um, uh, the king must be honored in such a way that the love of the brotherhood and the fear of God be not violated. And that's the key. That is the key right there. You know, um, I was doing a young men's study, and with it, I had all of them, and we were discussing exactly this, submitting to government, submitting to authority. And one of the kids said, well, well, Adam, what about if here it is, they're telling us to do something against the will of God? Oh, what about that? So I proposed this question. I said, let's say that a deputy walked up to the door right now, knocked and said, hey, you know what? All you people in here, you can't worship in here. I'm sorry, you have to leave. What do we do? We have every right to assemble. We have every right to assemble peaceably. We have every right in the fact that this is God's house that we can come here and assemble. Freedom of religion. Okay? But does that mean that we go ahead and we, you know, dog pile on the deputy that just got here? We take his gun away from him, duct tape him up and throw him in the back closet and go, okay, next reading in Peter. <laughs> I know Eugene would be all about that. <laughs> However, instead of doing that, instead of being completely against what he was saying, maybe a better route would have been, you know what? Okay, um, let me talk to your uh, lieutenant. Let's go ahead and see, has there been some new changes that maybe I'm not aware of? Maybe the Supreme Court has gone rampant again. Okay. And then take it to the next step, to the next level. Find out what's going on, why this person is, this deputy is knocking on our door. Maybe it's just a personal vendetta. And we can go ahead and work out, okay, by our good works, the way that uh, people should see us, how it's supposed to be. So, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, now, one of the things that I really want to bring out in the scripture, if you notice here, okay, it doesn't say, if I can find, ah, right here. But when you do good and suffer, or it doesn't say if, does it? Right? No. It says when. So remember we started off and I said if you weren't going through trials and tribulations, you will. Okay, this is exactly what God is talking about and what Peter is talking about. Okay, so 
wait a second. Now, Adam, we read through this and you say that I have to submit to my boss, even the harsh ones, even the idiots. Yeah, even the idiots. <laughs> I was working out in L.A. and uh, we had a pretty good collision and one of the parties needed to be life flighted off of the freeway. Now, when we do this, we shut down the entire freeway so that the helicopter can land. And one of the reasons why we do this is because if it lands on, let's say, the southbound side, um, any of the rotor wash and stuff like that could kick up debris and then over onto something else. And now we've got another collision on our hands. Okay, so we always go ahead and do that. That's our policy. So this night, uh, the chopper's coming in. It's about a few minutes out and everything. We get the word. And there's a unit standing by. The collision was on the southbound side. He was on the northbound side. And he said, okay. He goes, hey, Sarge, just to let you know, uh, I'm standing by. I'm ready to shut, to shut it down. And he goes, uh, negative on that, 1022, disregard. Don't worry about it. We got it. We already got southbound closed. So my partner goes up to him and says, hey, Sarge, you're an idiot. No, okay, he didn't say that. <laughs> but he says, hey, Sarge, you know, it's policy. You know, rotor wash and stuff like that. We don't want to cause another collision. And so he goes, oh, oh, right, right. So he gets back on the radio. He goes, uh, yeah, uh, 81605, go ahead and run that break. I guess they're big, bringing in the big chopper. So he tries covering it up, right? They think, oh, yeah, that's a big thing. There's only one size, folks. There's only one size. But even the idiot supervisors that you have to deal with, we have to submit to them. And, you know, it wasn't long. It wasn't long before here it was, I came under his wrath, that I was wrongly, wrongly accused. And what did I do? I just accepted it. I understood where it was coming from. And I pray that there was others that went ahead and observed my good works. And God was honored. Amen? Yeah. It's not easy, though. It's not easy. Wait a second. I got more. <laughs> Advanced a little bit too far ahead. Okay. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Who committed no sin, nor was the seed found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Peter starts off here, and he says, leaving us an example. Leaving us an example. You know, I got into... Um, wait a second. Before I give you one more war story here, um, this brings us up to our third point. Okay? So, first point is what? Second point is what? So, the third point must be Christ is our example. Everybody said? Excellent. Oh, you guys are doing so good. So early in the morning, too. I'm impressed. I am impressed. 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. I got into a conversation with uh, one of my friends, a good friend of mine, a Christian believer and everything. However, just like many of us, sometimes we'll get to a passage or we get to something where we just don't understand. And he said, he goes, he goes, Adam, he goes, look, he said, why did he, and we were talking specifically about when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, right? Remember that? Right? Praying so fervently that actually, you know, sweating blood. And he said, if he's God, why did he have to pray? Didn't he know everything that was going to happen? Didn't he know everything that he had to go through? So then, why is he praying? Why is he praying? Take this cup from me. Adam, I don't understand. It makes no sense. I mean, if I already know something, then why am I going to ask somebody else, well, hey, do I have to do this? You know exactly what it is. And I said to him, because he gave us an example. Remember his prayer? God, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. It was for an example. That's why Jesus came here, to be our example. And that's what we need to do. Follow him. Follow him in his example. He was reviled and did not revile in return. I find this amazing. Because I think about myself and my own flesh. Trust me, Peter and I, we've got a lot in common. <laughs> okay? But remember, here it was when Jesus was arrested. Right? What did Peter do? Right? His flesh takes over. He says, oh, I got this, Lord. He takes out his sword and he lops off Malchus's ear. Right? Jesus goes ahead and heals it. He says, Look, knucklehead. Don't you think I could bring down legions of angels? Yeah. Okay? He could totally do that. He could snap his fingers. And then there it is. All the accused would disappear. He could, uh, do you think about it? Do you really think about it? It is so unfathomable sometimes. Here it is. A black hole. One of the most powerful forces within the universe. Or so science says. That's so difficult. So strong. That even gravity and light... Cannot escape it. But yet Jesus could be standing at the edge of it, go in and out of it all he wanted. It's how powerful, powerful. And yet, he in his meekness, in his meekness, doesn't fight. Giving us an example. Now, understand, I said meekness, not weakness. I think a lot of times people misconstrue that. They get that mixed up. Jesus was by no means weak as was just stated. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. As we go ahead and we start to wrap things up, I think that this is beautiful. This is absolutely beautiful. Two reasons. Number one, are we not a sheep? Yeah. And you know, Michelle and I were just talking about this this morning. We have a nativity scene. And in the scene, there's a shepherd, and he has that sheep over his shoulders. Hmm. Do you think the sheep was just tired? Uh, we've been walking all this way. We've been following this star. 
Come on, shepherd. Up, please. Ah. You think that's what happened? No. One of the things that the shepherds used to do was when a sheep would stray, when they wouldn't stay together with all the rest of the flock, they would actually go ahead and break one of their legs. They would break their legs. But then the shepherd would take the sheep, placing it over his shoulder, and carry it around. Carry it around so that that sheep would understand, hey, there it is. The shepherd, he's my protection. He's the one who's going to get me through this. He's the one who needs to bring me to get fed. And there's a bond that is formed there. And the sheep doesn't stray again. So here it is when he calls us sheep going astray. I think that that's a beautiful thing. Because I know myself, hey, I've gone astray. I've gone astray time and time again. And you know, sometimes it takes that God smack. Sometimes it takes that broken leg to actually go ahead and bring me back and go, yes, Lord, this is where I need to be. And you know, I think if there was anybody who could go ahead and say it better, or who was one of those been there, done there, done that kind of guys, okay? It's Peter. Peter concludes here with certain hope and an antidote for every problem. Although his readers are like the wayward sheep of Isaiah 53, in Jesus they find their souls. This is a fitting note on which to end. For Peter himself, after his own failure, had found in Jesus a compassionate shepherd. He had received from him the threefold commission, feed my sheep. And in, in his redemption, we get beautiful letters like this. John twenty-one, fifteen through 17. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, here it is. You have given us an example. We understand that even if we may not necessarily want to, we need to submit to government. You place them there. God, here it is. This is not our home. We are not of this world. God, if we walk out of here just understanding a little bit of those three points, how much better will our lives be? So God, that is my prayer. That Lord, as we come before you, that you would just truly, truly lift up all those that have heard this message. Let us follow your example. Let us decrease while you increase. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we love you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.